This week, I welcome back J.P. Tremblay, a veteran financial analyst, a friend of mine, and a fellow CFA. We share a passion for the outside influences that affect the psychology of investing and how to protect your assets from the noise. Let's dive in. Welcome to the Market Call Show, where we discuss what's happening in the markets and the impact on your investments. Tune in every Thursday on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. JP. Good morning, Lewis. How are you? Excellent. How are you? Got my coffee? cup of coffee. Yes. Today, we're going to be talking about getting out of your own way. Um, you know, <laughs> so when we when I look at all the news that's going on right now, it really got me thinking about, you know, what did we want to talk about today? And I I remembered that a while back I had written this uh, little chapter called the million, your, your Millionaire Mind. And in uh, in that chapter, I was talking about the most common, like the five most common uh, problems that how people are getting in their own way. And it really reminded me that we really need to get out of our own way, especially right now with all the news that you're hearing, and it kind of spurs uh, these these flaws. So uh, if you don't mind, I'm going to read the first paragraph of, this is from the Financial Freedom Blueprint, the first paragraph of this, and then we can kind of riff on each one of them. There's five we'll go through real quick. Go for it. All right. It says, people don't want to admit their faults but only good investors recognize them as soon as possible. It's not natural for most of us to seek our own faults. It requires a complete shift in our mindset. And that's what I wanna talk about today is mindset. Scientific evidence proves that we tend to make systematic mistakes regardless of our intellect. Doesn't matter how smart we are. Professors and scientists in academia have developed an entire field of study called behavioral finance. So they have found human judgment can be seriously flawed when it comes to investing an evidence-based strategy helps you become aware of these mistakes so you can become more rational with your choices. Here are the five most common flaws. So I'm just going to run through the first one and let you riff on it, all right? Mm -hmm. First one is hurting behavior. The tendency of an individual to mimic the actions of other people, whether those actions are rational or not. Oh, bam. Okay. Go. That's a, um, no, I totally agree with the setup and... Um, if somebody cannot relate to those to that mindset right now, I don't know um, what will because I think with everything that's going on, it's really easy to become emotional about um, about investment and, and step away from maybe being a little more um, pragmatic and fact based. It feels good, right? As an investor, um, you know, it feels good to to go where everybody is, right? So you have, um, I mean, you there can you take. Go. Yeah, pick your favorite right now. Like what is, um, it feels good to buy a stock that everybody owns, that you show up at the cocktail reception, which there is none right now, but anyways, you can still talk about stocks. You know, you own your 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 hot stocks and it feels good. Um, and this may be, um, you know, what um, what is fueling that, um, what is fueling that, um, that self-fulfilling prophecy. Now, um, one thing well, that- well, yeah, hold, hold on. So you brought that. It feels good, right? I mean, that's yeah. that's kind of the main thing. It feels good. So it's like the herding behavior comes back to that sheep, uh, you know, uh, analogy with the sheep. I think Michael Covell, uh, uh, he has a podcast called Trend, Trend Following. He um, did a, a, a video on actually went to a, shirt, uh, a herd of sheep and showed how they react and how 
when one does something, the other ones do the, you know, they just all kind of follow each other and they'll follow themselves, you know, to their death. So uh, that, that's kind of the, the, the basic issue here. Right. And, and uh, it could be in, in lots of different uh, mistakes, but that concept. And so what would you say is the, the easiest way or what is the, you mentioned evidence-based, yeah, which is actually the title of this chapter in the book. Uh, it's, this is part of that chapter. So what would you say the uh, anti antidote, you know, what is the medicine you should take to try to avert, avoid hurting behavior? Well, I, I can think of two things. Um, one is to, um, you know, of course, do your homework, right? Like we do all the time, whether it's somebody else doing it for you or um, whether you outsource that or you do it yourself. Like, you know, when it's tempting to do what everybody else does, but do your own homework to see if it makes sense for you to um, either buy a stock or um, do whatever um, you feel the herd is doing. So, um, and, and the second is to know um, that you have a um, that you have a, a rationale for um, for that action, right? And um, you know, we can benefit a lot from you know behind that herd behavior is a lot of you know you can say it relates to momentum and trend and and yes, we can we benefit from that, um, but not at any cost, right? So we we want to take advantage of that. Um, but to the extent that we have a um, that we have our own reason to be uh, partaking into that um, into that, that direction, right? And you know, at yeah. one time you should you should be jumping off the wagon, right? It's great to get on the train, uh, but you need to know what station you're you're getting off at, right? Yeah, there's there's two there's two quotes that I think uh, uh, really fit this. Benjamin Benjamin Graham, you know, the father of value investing. He said, you, you are neither right nor wrong because people agree with you. And that, that's true. And then the other one is my, my favorite quote on this is Milton Friedman. Milton Friedman, a great economist. Um, he said, the only relevant test of the, valid the validity of a hypothesis is comparing it with the pred your predictions, comparing your predictions with actual experience. If you worry about your investments, need to make complex financial decisions, or pay unnecessary taxes, a lack of proper financial planning and investing may already be costing you a great deal. When you are ready to turn your peace of wealth into peace of mind, go to WealthNetInvest.com and click on the Schedule a Call button to talk to us and get a free consultation today. That, so hurting behavior would be the first one. I would say let's move on to the second one because we want to cover some ground here. The second one is overconfidence. Overconfidence can lead us to trade too often or invest too heavily in a particular asset. We're self-assured of our superiority. Nor, uh, not everyone can be an above average investor, yet we all think that we are. This can lead people to trust their gut rather than do their homework. Believe it or not, many times a gut feeling is not a good source of decision-making. Go. <laughs> oh, this one. This one is, is is too much fun because you. Um, I mean, we all we all taunt our successes and trend to downplay our um, our failure, like you said, and um, and this gives us kind of this over overconfidence. Um, and um, you know, I'll, I'll jump to the maybe the antidote or the the solution for that. Um, it, it's it's a question of having having a process as to really um, to measure. Um, to measure risk, what is the cost of being wrong? Right. I mean, if we all we all hope to be right, um, and that's great. But what is um, again? I, I force ourselves to think about the um, 
the possible downside. Yeah, and we, we talked at length at this. It seems to come up every week, and, and it should probably, um, yeah. about, you know, sizing opportunities um, appropriately according to their inherent, um, <laughs> you know, opportunity as well as their risk. And um, if you think you're too emotional, um, emotionally involved um, or engaged in, in those decisions for yourself, maybe um, the idea of having somebody um, give you advice for it might make sense because you take away yeah. a little that um of that 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 problem right um yeah i mean we see that a lot where somebody comes in and and they are are like really knowledgeable maybe even were former and you know worked in the industry and they go you know what i just don't have it's just not my personality doesn't fit it i need you to use the discipline all right um before i go on to the the third one i was going to mention to you that um we have been, we send out a monthly market insight and it's a video. And I noticed that a lot of people are really liking it. So I wanted to just let anybody who's watching this know you can get this monthly market insight. It's actually a video that has, shows graphically what's happened in the market over the last month and what, you know, what we see happening in the various markets. And all you got to do is go to our uh, sign up for our blog. So if you go to wealthnetinvest.com, um, they'll actually be a little pop-up that comes up that asks you if you want to sign up for the blog. So you can do it that way. And I'll also put a, a link here uh, as to uh, how you can also, also, also get that, just a separate link. But uh, so, yeah, go ahead and do that if you want to see those. Um, prospect theory, by the way, is the next one. This is probably my most favorite heuristic or, or not heuristic, but, but, but uh, problem, behavioral finance problem for investors. Because when I learned this one, this changed my whole life. And prospect theory is the phenomenon that leads to investors making poor decisions. Our brains are hardwired to hold on to losers too long and to sell winners too soon. So Daniel Kahneman and Amos Tversky developed the prospect theory in 1979 when the research found that people do not value gains the same as losses. The evidence suggests that we want to hold on to our losers to avoid to avoid regret, that feeling of regret, regret, and to circumvent the pain of admitting it a mistake. Oh, I, I, people don't want to admit mistakes. That is so hard for, especially value investors. I've found people that have that kind of a feeling in their brain, in their in their like core, they don't want to admit mistakes. Uh, on the other hand, it's easy for us to take a quick gain. You know, when you're up a little bit, it's like boom, take it. You know, you want to take it. So this is the exact opposite of what all the research that we do shows you should do right yeah i mean so, th this oh. one um this one we all guilty of and um i mean personally like this was very heartfelt when you, you read the the definition of that, that that thing which is um you know the way I, I kind of reconciled that for me and i remember i was like the market does not owe me anything right and we that's what like hanging on to your losers you think the market owes you something the market does not know your cost basis does not know when you bought it why it does not care right <laughs> the market so, does not know your cost basis i love that i'd like yeah. to get that on a t-shirt too <laughs> i have, we could start a t-shirt company i'm telling you <laughs> That's a good idea. So um, yeah, so for so for me, that was kind of that um, you know moment. However, you you come to um, to that realization that you know that this is the situation, and um, and also the, this distinguish um, a good company. Let's talk about stocks here again, as we do. It's a good good example, but a good stock 
a good company versus a good stock. Those are two distinct things. You can have a great company that is really not a good stock to own right now. You know, you can pick your favorite. Like Apple was not always a great stock. It has gone down 50%. Certainly was not a good holding, even though it was probably still a great company. But um, um, so so if, you, if you're able to say that, so that gives you like, you know, to be pragmatic, that means like you have a list of companies that you like, you like, those are great businesses. Um, and then sometimes you own them and sometimes it's time to, to get out. And it doesn't mean that you can't get back in, right? For some reason, we associate sometimes selling with um, said, oh, I don't like this company anymore. I shouldn't like it. Like it feels weird to get back in. And you know, who, you know who, who, who hit that home the hardest for me? That, that whole concept of separating the stock from the company? Uh, uh, Ralph Acampora. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I was lucky enough to do a, a talk with him over at DU. They had the finance forums. You remember those? I think we still do them at, at DU. We hosted that. I hosted that, yeah. Yeah. And uh, so it was pretty cool. Uh, I got to talk after him, which is kind of hard because, you know, he's like an amazing speaker. So, but anyway, I got to talk after him. And then uh, later on, we did a, a little group. Um, we went to one of the classrooms. And we did a course for some of the students. I think they were a mix of grad students and undergrad. And anyway, and he drew this big circle and then he drew a line through the center and he put stock on the top and he put company on the bottom. He said, okay, you got the company, they've got earnings, you got the management and you got all these things, right? But here's the stock. And what we're gonna be talking about today with technical analysis is the stock itself, the supply and demand for the stock. And ever since then, I've kind of used that as a, yeah, he, he was, he's really brilliant about explaining that. I think it's in the pitch book of the CMT um, program now, that particular um, circle. Yeah. Yes, the circle. He was very influential with the, with the CMT. Yeah, of course, he was one of the founding. He's one of the founders. Uh, him and another guy, uh, Brooks. Uh, Brooks was his last name. I'm trying to remember his first name. Uh, John Brooks, I believe. John Brooks. In fact, I met John Brooks. Uh, he came out to speak years ago here um, and when I was the president for the Chartered Market Technicians Association here in Denver. And we used to go up to Prudential Base's office um, up on the top of the, the cash register building. And uh, he came in and he was like disheveled because he'd been, you know, talking to people all day because, you know, he worked for an investment management company as a technician. He comes in with his, with his suitcase rolling in and just lit it up. Just lit it up. He's a great technician. Uh, he's missed for sure. He's no longer with us. Okay, the next one, overreaction. Is the tendency of people to overreact to news information. I think this is the most applicable situation problem right now where people are overreacting to news. Trump gets COVID. Oh, my God, sell everything. Uh, you know, just you pick, pick the news headline. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and actually, if you had reacted to any of those things, you really got hurt, right? Um, how many times are we swayed by the financial news or some other media? In many cases, this leads investors to buy or sell immediately without knowing the facts or estimating the consequences, without knowing the facts or estimating the consequences. And there's a, a lot more on this. So what do you, what do you have to say about overreaction? Oh, this is one that, um, a lot of people are, are, um, making a lot of money on this. I mean, this is the idea of shoot first, ask questions later, right? So you, you just said, okay, I, I don't want any of this, there's bad news and I'll figure it out later, but I don't want to be in all of this bad news. Um, and that's something that is actually taking advantage of. Um, those are kind of those heuristics, those, um, you know, systematic um, mental um, mental pattern that um, even people like, uh, of course, primarily 
those um, algorithmic traders can take advantage of in the market, right? They are able to detect that the market is in a kind of an oversold position, overreacted to some news and, and basically maybe beyond um, what is rational um, to it. So, um, and we, um, you can, you can hurt yourself definitely by reacting to that. And, um, and right now in this day and age where we, we're flooded with information, um, actually information is a bit of a, a misnomer of with, um, noise is the, what I call it. You have to be able to um, distinguish noise versus information. For example, we own Goldman Sachs. Goldman Sachs reported earnings this morning. That is a piece of information that is um, quantifiable, that affects my view, my opinion of value on a stock that I own. In this case, it was a very happy event for, for us this morning. Oh, um, good. What so happened? We own, no, no, we own, yeah, we own the strong one. Make of America got crushed. Goldman uh, was up, doubled its its profits, doing very well in this environment. Yeah, they've been doing the right things. Yeah. So um, so anyway, so, that, um, so this is a piece of information that I react to. But the fact that some bloggers yesterday tell me that Goldman Sachs is, is is going to is the worst is the evil empire and blah blah blah. I don't care, right? I mean, um, so so the, this this kind of um, gymnastics. If you're in the market every day, you get to develop this. Um, um, maybe it's a it's an instinct, but I mean, there's only a few data points that we really care about. Um, most of it is is noise, um, and we um, you know so. And it's interesting. I mean, to be to get a little more um, maybe technical on, on this stuff, right? Um, every stock has a as a normal amount of, of volatility, right? We talked about we talked about volatility, which is normal, right? This is this is noise, and you should not be trading on that noise. That's the sure way to lose money, right? So you should know what is a what is a move, what is a, a an action that is actually outside of that, that basically said, okay, there is something going on here, whether you know what's going on or whether you um, you said, well, am I missing something and what is that? Um, well, we certainly try to try to know. Uh, we don't know for sure what's noise and signal always, um, but, but yeah, it's hard sometimes to distinguish. And I will say that if you look at the volatility characteristics over the years, you'll see that there was, there's more noise now than there used to be. Like for example, the trend followers used to have very short parameter sets in their breakouts and their moving average crossovers and all that. And made they made very good profits doing that. But now they've had to lengthen everything up in terms of how long their breakouts are because there's more noise in the market. And, and the more um, uh, established a market, the more noise you tend to have. Like equ equity markets tend to have a ton of noise. Um, uh, relative to, say, currency markets or fixed income markets, which have less noise. And how do you know that? Well, you can quantify that. There's a gentleman by the name of uh, Perry Kaufman who created this uh, concept of, it's kind of like a signal-to-noise ratio. It's been called that. But basically what it does, it says, okay, I'm going to look at a time frame. Pick your time frame, whatever it may be. Let's say it's a quarter. And we're going to look at uh, the absolute value of all the changes every day during that time frame and add it all up so that that basically that's the total movement that market made during that time frame and then you uh compare that to the actual move made from point to point in that time frame and so uh if it was a perfect straight line you'll get a number one if it's just completely noise you'll get a number zero so um that that is a great understanding if you look at that measure you can actually see that yes in fact quantifiably equities are more noisy and in fact, no, uh, equities, no, equity noise is even more pronounced in the large caps 
And a lot of this has to do with just everything going on with uh, indexing. You know, I heard a statistic that blew me away, and I have to verify this, but I heard that the market is now at 43% indexed. And if that's true, which this is a pretty good source, um, then that's telling you a lot, right? That's telling you that there's a huge liquidity issue that's boiling, brewing up here because, you know, all this money is, there's a, there's a ton of concentration risk. And uh, not to get too far off on a tangent, but in uh, the handbook of risk, I wrote, uh, the, you know, the, the, uh, the kind of the things to look for for a, pot a potential big shock. And we've got all sorts of big shock things happening right now. One of them being concentration risk with few institutions, Vanguard, the indexing. Um, and, you know, and I've noticed that with the liquidity, you could even buy a big, huge company like Apple and you can go in and you'll notice that there's not as much liquidity because most of the volume that's happening there is on the buy side because it's all indexed. Everybody keeps plowing their money into the uh, 401ks, et cetera. And so you actually, yeah, you wind up having to be very careful for us to buy a couple million dollars, buy a million dollars of Apple. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, uh, anyway, now we got kind of, I, I got off on a little bit of a tangent there, but, uh, I do think the noise situation is a whole, we could like literally do an entire thing on noise. Uh, so, but since we don't have that much time, let's move on to the next one. Recency. Uh, recency describes the fact that we are prone to place more importance on recent Im information rather than older information. This is a problem because something that happens today is not necessarily more important than if it happened last week or the week before. Mm. And new information is so fresh in our minds that we don't see the full picture. And as we will discuss, evidence-based approach helps you with this error of judgment, blah, blah, blah. So, Tell me about this recency thing. Has that, I, I know I fall into this recency thing. Well, I mean, you, I, you I think we, we've seen a, um, an amplification of that problem in, in recent years where, I mean, last year, last week's news feels like a year ago now. I mean, before at least, you know, we had a few days to digest something. Now it seems like the, the, the news cycle um, is feeding us the next breaking stories, um, you know, every, every few minutes. Um, before we even had a chance to process the um, the past, and um, and that's what you know that that's again maybe goes back to the whole idea of noise, um, because um, as, as you mentioned also in the I think it was the first one you said um, you need to look at um, to to have a well to have a plan to compare your um, your forecast to the actual. That's how you know if you're right or wrong, right? So let's say I'm, I'm getting into a stock today. I probably have a um, an opinion of what that stock is worth. I have an opinion of what the company is capable of executing from a um, from a fundamental standpoint, right? We have to have those um, those assumptions into um, into our investments, and then um, you know you you get to to check that. Like for example, Goldman Sachs that I just used is that like I was expecting you know things to go well on the um, issuance of uh, of debt and, and IPOs and stuff, and that's what's been fueling the earnings. So you know this thing which you know we, when we took the position i had a, a we had a view and then this is kind of either confirming or um disconfirming if you will of our of our thesis if you're on the right side um again um it's having that memory right i would say you, you need um you need memory of memory. your decision making and, and how do you um how do you go back to to assess as opposed to say oh i I don't even remember what I liked about this company. And now there's like a, you know, a bit of a, 
um, you have a negative sentiment around it. And yeah, you nailed it on the head. You nailed it on the head. Memory. That was what was going through my mind the whole time because that's the beauty of computers is is we could tell the computer to mem remember stuff for us. It's really good at storing information and filing things and and keeping us honest with ourselves. So having quantitative a quantitative approach is is so important because you can actually quantitatively see how much memory should we have. One example would be uh, if you're looking at relative strength trends in price. Well, we know that if you have a really, really long memory that that it tends to be the stock prices tend to be mean reverting. But if you have more of an intermediate term, it tends to be more continuation of the trend. You know, so but but computers and having that memory is so important because our brains are so flawed. I mean, how we experience things and how we remember and store things are not the same as to what actually happened. So that's very good. Well, so we went. We we did a good job. We we uh, we went through all five. It's uh, and uh, we're pretty good on time. So um, I don't have any final comments really. I wanted to kind of just knock this out, and hopefully people can get things. Um, other than to uh, you know, hey, just remind you again to like and subscribe uh, our uh, YouTube and uh, get you know get our blog, and you can get things in your inbox as well. Get notifications. All right. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time. Bye bye now. Have a great day. Thank you. The information in this podcast is informational and general in nature and does not take into consideration the listener's personal circumstances. Therefore, it is not intended to be a substitute for specific individualized financial, legal, or tax advice. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making a final decision. WealthNet Investments is a registered investment advisor. Advisory services are only offered to clients or prospective clients where WealthNet Investments and its representatives are properly licensed or exempt from licensure.